Hi, Ray Comfort back again for part two of a series uh, called The Amazing Definition of Initiative. The guys are away, and i just got to say how I love uh, Mark, Easy, and Oscar. I, uh, we've got a synergy that I absolutely love. It's, it's magical, if I can use that word as a Christian. Don't have it today. I'm sharing a, a devotional 10, 15 minutes. This is part two of The Amazing Definition of Initiative, and I'll give you a quick summation of part one if you didn't hear it. I think you need to hear it to hear this in context, but there's a certain principle I've used for 50 years when it comes to sharing the gospel, and that is everything I do bounces off Mark 16, verse 15. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And I shared with you a wonderful exploit that God allowed me to be involved in where he proved himself to be remarkable in an effort I did to share the gospel with this dying world where I purchased a bus And I shared with you in the first part how God allowed me to purchase this wonderful bus that we used for his glory and for sharing the gospel with the lost. The second exploit that that I remember when it comes to using this principle of uh, using initiative is that I wrote a book called My Friends Are Dying back in 1979, I think it was. A lot of my friends had died because of drug abuse, and I, I felt horrified. I think five of them from my surfing scene had died uh, through abusing drugs. And I thought, I'm going to write a book uh, called My Friends Are Dying, and I'm going to include the gospel. And so I stayed up for three nights with an old typewriter, and typewriters are so archaic, and I typed out this book. It was about 100 pages, maybe 80 or 90 pages, lots of pictures we put in it. And I went to my printer, and I said, "Um, I don't have any money for this book. And he said, don't worry about it. You can pay us when it sells, which was wonderful. And so this book actually became a bestseller because of the title and because back then people didn't die of drug abuse like they do now. And so it became big news, national, national news, and the book sold uh, many, many copies. And it set me up for an itinerant ministry and uh, paved the way for me to write books. Because if you ask any publisher, you know, I've got a book, would you publish? They'll say, yeah, sure, as long as you're famous. And you think, what are you talking about? Publish my book and I'll be famous, then it'll work that way. But they want it the other way. So... I was very blessed to have a door open for me to write books because of that book called My Friends Are Dying. I think went to six or seven, eight copies. It's now called um, Out of the Comfort Zone, same book, uh, but a lot more added to it. Anyway, the book, as I said, became a bestseller, and I didn't even pray about writing it. I mean, I think I remember reading the verse, commit your way to the Lord and he'll establish your thoughts, and I did that. But I didn't say, oh, God, do you want me to write a book with a gospel in it? Because I knew that Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And that was my springboard. Then I decided to make a movie out of the book because it was so well known. And I thought, okay, I've got this movie called My Friends Are Dying. Who on earth is going to come to a Christian movie? Because everyone knew I was a Christian. And so I I didn't think people were going to show up to a Christian movie. And it just so happened My cameraman went into the square when I wasn't there where I uh, would preach, and he thought he'd get some B-roll of people standing around. And it turned out, while he was standing there, a gang fight broke out behind him between two rival gangs, a fight over a woman, would you believe it or not. And they used axes and knives, and it was very violent. No one got killed, but he got it on camera. It was about one minute, 60 seconds of it. Very, very dramatic the crowd thought that was just some sort of drama that someone was putting on, or some sort of play or whatever. They didn't realize it was real, and you could see the looks in their faces when a guy gets an axe into his head, it slid onto his shoulder, and was all caught on camera. The police seized the footage and used it as a Supreme Court evidence. 
And I said, man, I'm going to use this in the movie. This will get people interested in the movie. So I called the police. I said, um, uh, we missed your arrival with the uh, gang fight. And they said, well, you scratched our back by letting us have the footage. We're going to scratch yours by supplying two squad cars to come to the square. So I, we filmed two squad cars screaming into the local square, police officers jumping out and then running to nowhere in the square, put it into the film, and it worked out great. 2,300 people showed up to the premiere. We had to have, we had to have two sessions. They locked 1,000 people out after the second session. And my motivation for writing that book, and as I said, and, and making that movie was go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Fourth exploit, they that know their God shall do exploits. And there's been many, many exploits since these days, many years ago. I didn't even have a ministry as a new Christian, but one guy came down to me and he'd made up this very rough um, layout of a, a Jesus paper. This is what's called the Jesus Revolution. During the Jesus Revolution of the early 1980s or late 1970s, I was, no, middle 1970s, it doesn't really matter when it was. Anyway, he said, would you take over this paper? And I said, sure. So we produced the paper and it ended up, I think, we produced 240,000 copies, never asked for money, only asked for money once in the first edition. And somebody sent me, I think, 14 cents in the mail, which I had to pay double that amount to get out because it was short paid postage. So I thought, I'm not going to ask for money. This is what happened. So we just trusted God and God supplied all our needs. People throw, would throw money through the window of our home. I'd find out the floor in the bedroom and all sorts of wonderful, wonderful things happened and God supplied our needs. And that was the beginning of our Living Waters ministry of... Uh, that Jesus paper being called Living Waters. And again, the reason I embarked upon that paper and that book and that movie was Mark 16, verse 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So let's carry on by looking at Isaiah 55, verse 6. And this is a very relevant scripture as to what we're talking about. Verse 6 of Isaiah 55, famous verse, Seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. So God is speaking to the ungodly and says, Let the wicked forsake his way, remember that word, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let the wicked man forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And then in verse 8, we're going to skip down a little. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. So God's speaking to the ungodly, the unregenerate, and saying, Your thoughts are not my thoughts. But when we come to Christ, we're given a new heart with new desires. God takes his law and writes it upon our heart. We receive the mind of Christ. You see, before I was a Christian, I never thought to myself, hey, I love surfing. I'm going to get a big bus and put scripture on it. Or I'm going to write a Christian book and make a Christian movie or start a Christian Jesus paper. Never thought of that for a split second. It wasn't in my thoughts. But the moment I became a Christian, my thoughts were different. They were like God's thoughts. My desires became God's desires. And that's the difference between the unregenerate and a genuinely regenerate person is that our ways and our thoughts becomes, become God's ways and God's thoughts. All we, like, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. But now we turn to Christ and we think differently. Our old man is crucified Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. So now I'm a Christian. My old nature with its sinful, selfish thoughts 
have been crucified, and now I think like God thinks, and I have thoughts like God has. My desires are the same as God's desires. Listen to Philippians 1 verse 13. Very famous Bible verse. It's God that works in us to will and do of his good pleasure. Let me read to you from the Amplified Bible. I'll read it a little louder because it's from the Amplified Bible. But this is so relevant. It is God who is all the while effectually at work in you, energizing and creating in you the power and desire both to will and to work for his good pleasure, satisfaction and and delight. So why do I have these desires to reach out to the lost? Because it's God who's working in me, energizing in me to will and do his good pleasure. Proverbs 14 verse 4 says, Where no oxen are, the crib is clean. Now I remember looking at that verse as a new Christian and saying, I know what that means, but I can't, can't explain it. I'm going to try now to explain what that means to me. Where no oxen are, the crib is clean. And then it says, but much increases by the strength of the ox. Well, if you've got no ox, the crib is clean. You come up to me and say, hey, what are you doing with the ox crib? And I say, I'm going to put some ox in it. You say, you're not going to put it in. Filthy creatures, they'll make a mess of it. No, don't do that. Well, where no ox are, the crib is clean. But there's no point in the whole thing if you don't put ox in it. And some people are so afraid of making a mess. They don't do anything. Look, my life is filled with failures. I've made a mess. Of, I've started books I haven't finished, written tracks I haven't finished, started sermons I didn't know how to finish. I've abandoned them. I've walked on water and sunk many times and asked Jesus, please lift me up from this. When no oxen are, the crib is clean. Listen to Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. So, What are my heart's desires? Is it for more, bigger, better, thicker carpet, bigger car, better home? No, my old nature has been crucified with Christ. I no longer want those selfish desires. My desires are the same as God's desires. Oh, I don't want any to perish. I want all to come to repentance. Listen to Matthew 14, verse 25 through 29. Again, I'm not going to read it for the sake of time. In fact, it's a wonderful, wonderful Bible verse, and it illustrates the principle of what I'm saying, and what I'm going to do is abandon part two and look at this verse in part three. So I want you to join me for part three for this wonderful Bible verse. You don't know what it is, so this is going to act as a teaser. It's going to get you curious to come in and see what it says. So join me for part three of this devotional entitled The Amazing Definition of Initiative. Winners, winners, winners. That's you, friends. Those of you who I'm about to announce are the winners of this week's podcast giveaway on the Living Waters podcast. We've got Carlos from Lamont, California, Daniel from Jamestown, North Carolina, Ed Washburn from Tennessee, David Norwood from North Carolina, Doug Campobello from South Carolina, Ali from Falls Church, Virginia, Adrian from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, Joshua from Excelsior Springs, Missouri, Eva from Bow Island, Canada, and Penelope from Bardwell Park, Australia. Shout out to the Aussies and the Canadians out there. Friends, you can get this too. Those of you who are listening, just share the word and sign up.
for the Living Waters podcast.